back to the Neil Haley Show here on the Caregiver Dave Celebrity Segment. And I'm excited looking to welcome to the program Caregiver Dave. Dave, how are you? You know, it's very interesting. Awesome. We have a lot of chemistry for this guest, and I'm excited. But you're the Trekkie. Star Trek, I've, we've kind of uh, really reached an area. Always we're reaching areas of some of your favorite stars of different shows, don't we? Yes, yes. And I love Star Trek. And I was just telling him in the beginning, you know, it was just the original that I loved. And then the new ones would come out. And oh, I don't know about this Picard guy. And then I watched him and I was hooked. And then the next one, you know, and all that stuff. But the, we have a, an actor with us, Garrett Wang. And you will know him from the Voyager Star Trek series. Ensign Harry Kim, right? Correct, correct. It's so funny. Got it right. Ensign is a lot is a is a more obscure naval ranking term. So some people go ensign. I go no, it's not ensign. <laughs> I'm not a sign on the street, you know. Uh, and also, just to quickly clarify, I know it's it's spelled W A N G, but it's pronounced like an O. So Wong. it is Garrett Wong. Yes, sir. That is the correct. Oh, that's more Asian. So. Yeah, well, that's the way you'd say it in China. And uh, uh, Vera, Vera Wang, the designer, is incorrectly pronouncing her name. So I'm uh -huh. still waiting for the day that I come across her and I can shake her up. A you bit. will one day. Yes. I love your background, by the way. <laughs> See, you. I would have messed that up, so thank Dave. goodness Dave did. Now yeah. let's go ahead and go to the first question. Now, so Delian, and Dave can get be allowed, because again, he was talking about, he just had surgery a week ago, so he's still getting over surgery. Oh, yeah, so, yeah, you see my, my leg Dave. is right, right up here by the screen and it's, yeah. it's got to be elevated. What did you have done, sir? What, what well, I am a biker, so I, I go on a bicycle. I go to Mexico twice a year, Ensenada to Rosarita Beach, 51 miles through the mountains. And so I'm practicing uh, on one of those off trips and this lady pulls right in front of me when I'm about 10 oh. feet in front of her. I slam into her fender. I go flying through the air, <sighs> body slam her windshield, crack it, bounce onto the asphalt. <sighs> the ER tells me it's not fractured. It's just a sprain. So I says, he says, but you should go see your orthopedic surgeon. But you know, who wants a, a broken ankle? I believe you. I don't need to see him. Well, 30 days later, I go see him because it won't stop hurting. And he oh, says, man. well, he looked at the same picture. He says, I see a fracture. Oh my. So wow. Now, seven years later, uh, it's arthritis has destroyed it. So I, he needed to reconstruct it, do some fusion. But see, if this wow. was the time of Star Trek, they could just point that little machine at it. Yeah. Boom, all done. <laughs> they just wave it along your Will leg. Will that ever finish. happen? I would Will love it? for that to happen. I, as you can see, Jonah, you're a sci-fi guy, right? Yeah. Look at the oh. scar here. I oh, just yeah, I had a that. surgery. Yeah, I had surgery May 7th. They go in through your neck to do spinal surgery. That's how they wow. do it. Wow. So, it's, yeah, so it's how did you have back problems? Uh, yeah, I just, I had a really bad fall on uh, my spine. Oh my disc between my C5 and C6 vertebrae, that was so enlarged that it was pushing against the spinal fluid oh and the spinal goodness. cord. It reduced mobility in my knees. My hands were numb. It was just bad. So You're lucky it was a successful surgery. A lot of work. Yes. Yes, that's true. And that's uh, true. It wasn't a worker's comp uh, work-related, right? No, it wasn't. No. <laughs> dead gummit. Well, glad you're doing good. So both how are you surviving the pandemic? Yeah, well, you know, honestly, the, this, it's been, uh, you know, it's been a tough process for myself as well, but thank God I've been able to distract myself with my own podcast, um, the Delta Flyers, which launched, uh, May 4th of this year. I do that wow. along with, uh, Robbie McNeil, one of my co-stars on Voyager and we review every single Voyager episode and we, we have special guests and we've been having a blast. Never thought you'd bring up podcasts, right? If you're too busy at conventions all the time and acting, there would be no time for a podcast, right? Yeah, but yeah. I'll tell you, though, the, the crazy thing, Neil, is that um, 
in just ordering equipment alone, because of the pandemic, everything was back ordered out of stock. It was just sitting here going, really? That ring yeah. light's gone? Really? That microphone's gone? It's like, oh, so and green screens. I mean, this is the time for any company that is making microphones, green screens, uh, uh, ring lights to just make a windfall right now. Everyone's doing it. I wonder after the pandemic, how many will stick to it? I could tell you out of a bunch of people that started radio shows with me 10 years ago, a lot of them are not around. They didn't. Oh, I'm sure. They didn't. They didn't and that was the days of the internet radio and then the independent radio. Now yeah. it's going radio show to podcast. And I like it because it just gives you another way of, of transforming the show in other areas. But it's just, when I heard the word podcast a couple of years ago, yeah. it, it stung like, oh, you're just doing a podcast. <laughs> now it's become cool. And I'm it glad. Cool. I'm glad because I love the industry and I think it's great video or audio. It's a great thing. All right, Dave, first question for Garrett. Can you just review for me? Um, can you just review for me the sequence of Star Trek? Because, uh, you know, I, I can't keep track of them anymore with all yeah. of the different series and then sure. with the movies come out. So sure. I'm sure you've got them in order, right? The yeah, first yeah. one. Sure. What do they call the well, original one? Well, it, they just say the original series, the original TOS. Series. TOS okay. is the abbreviation. They always try wow. to abbreviate to three letters, <laughs> right? Um, when TOS ended, of course, there was a huge gap in time because we're talking about 1966 sure. to 68, and then nothing came out until the mid-'80s when wow. Next Generation, which is referred to as TNG for the Next, Next generation. generation. Patrick Stewart was the captain on that one. Um, and during the run of TNG, uh, producers kind of branched off and said, let's do another Star Trek, and let's call it, Star Trek Deep Space Nine. So that's abbreviated as DS9. That is with the first black captain. That's uh, uh, Captain Cisco. So we have that show. And it's, it takes place on a space station. So it's, it's a little different in that all the other Star Trek series, there's always a ship and we're going out, we're exploring, we're, we're, we're doing all kinds of things. And this one's to set To boldly us. go where no man has gone before. Right. And DS9 is like to boldly go nowhere else except for the space <laughs> station. Is you know, But still, it's a good show. I do like DS9. Picard was the second one, right? Picard, no, uh, TNG is the second one, the next generation. Okay. So, okay, right. so it goes the original series, next generation, DS9 with Captain Cisco, then Voyager, which replaced next generation when it ended, and it was running the same time as the end of T uh, DS9. Uh, Voyagers with Captain. Um, I almost said Captain Mulgrew, a Captain uh, <laughs> Captain Janeway, played by Kate Mulgrew, and that's the one I was on. I like that one. Yes, I played the operations and communications officer on the ship, and I always tell people uh, from the original series we do have a communications officer, Uhura, but no operations officer. From Next Generation, we have no op uh, no communications officer, but we do have an operations officer played by Data. The character data so yeah. i always say ensign kim being ops com is the love child of data and Ohura. So that's how you get oh, <laughs> drama yes drama after so, my show ended there was enterprise with scott bakula as the captain oh which God. is actually like a prequel it takes place before the era of captain kirk so it really uh, even though yeah, obviously was the, visual, young guy. the visual effects of enterprise in 2004 uh 2001 to 2005 were much better than the original series in 1966 sure supposed to take place before Kirk. And after Enterprise ended, uh, right now we have a just, oh my gosh, we have a smorgasbord of choices. We have Picard, <laughs> Star Trek Picard with uh, a 
again, Patrick Stewart doing his role as Picard. We have Star Trek Discovery, which is another prequel that takes place before the original series. Um, and then um, we have we have Lower Decks, an animated Star Trek, which is out right now. So, And there's plans to have a, a spinoff of a Captain Pike Star Trek series. So there may be five series happening at the same time. So, And Gene Roddenberry makes money on all of this stuff? Gene Roddenberry's son makes money on all this his stuff. Son, Gene Roddenberry yeah. has passed away. Rest but his soul. Rest his rest his soul. Yeah. Money, right? He's making money for his his, yes. his family and everybody yes, else. Yes, yes. The yeah. Roddenberry the Roddenberry lineage is 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 going. And to hopefully those heirs life. understand what it's like to earn money and not just have it handed you on a silver <laughs> platter and mess up your lives on drugs. I think his son knows the value of it. Oh, his grandson, who is yeah. currently, I think, five years old, he may not know exactly what's happening. On third generation, they always know. Yeah. There's, yeah, those are the, those are the guys that don't really care so much. They're like, yeah, yeah, I'm loaded. What, what of it? You know, a fan of Star Trek before auditioning. Yes. Yes. Um, that is a misconception of many people. They think that every Star Trek actor is a huge fan of the genre. That is incorrect. Only about 10% of all Star Trek actors are really sci-fi fans, including myself. I'm definitely a huge sci-fi fan. Do you become, do you all become sci-fi fans and Trekkies? Uh, I think, yeah, I think the, the other 90% do fall in line. Yeah, to yeah. a point. For sure. <laughs> um, but then, um, you know, there's some that it's just a job for them, right? It's just a job. They did it. They're done with it. It's, it's not something they would do on their spare time. But for me, my first sci-fi was 1977 Star Wars in the theater. I was uh, eight, eight oh, wow. years old and it was, to me, it was life-changing. I, I fell in love with sci-fi because of Star Wars. You know? Star Wars, um, I fell in love with sci-fi as well. Just yeah, the Trekkie. I've liked the Trekkie movies, yeah. some of them, but I don't know why. I guess yeah. I think it's probably the. I as I said, more intelligence is the Star Trek. Mm. Star yeah. Wars is more of the battles and the fights. Yeah, yeah. I mean, if you the analogy has always been if you're talking about a painter, broad brushstrokes, Star Wars, detailed painting lines, small lines, Star Trek. <laughs> you know. So they, I probably would like it now yeah, more cool. binge watching than I would then. And that's so great that all your shows continue to be aired in other ways, but also binge watching. Did you think oh, yeah. when you auditioned, because again, this is another Star Trek version that you would last this many seasons and have the success you had? Well, you know, it's, it's interesting. I'd always heard that, um, the only the only constant in Hollywood is, is change or that there is no constant, but if there is something that's always going to be, you know, there it's Star it's Star Trek is always the one thing that people say that you know you're not going to be canceled after the first season you're gonna you're gonna go you're gonna go on and on and on and on and on. So you know, people say that uh, writers like Jules Verne uh, almost changed, and maybe they actually did change the direction of governments to go out and have a space program. Do you think Star Trek uh, had any influence on our space program? Uh, I, I definitely think it had some influence on it. I mean, if you look at all the influences Star Trek has had in terms of our daily lives, remember the first Motorola flip phone that was originally <laughs> communicated from the original series, right? Yeah. Um, and let's talk about Dick Tracy, you know, and his uh, phone. No, yeah, into, exactly. He had his watch, right? Um, I had read somewhere that uh, a medical school was using a holographic type of um, a surgery that was recorded uh, on all from all different cameras so that medical students could literally stand in different positions yeah. and see all angles of surgery. And I thought, wow, holographic. my granddaughter just had a 3d um, picture of her baby. So it's an ultrasound 
and you can actually see. Oh my God, every angle. Yeah, it's 3D <laughs> baby. And it, it looks like a picture like yeah. in the dark, black and white. It's amazing. Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, yes. Awesome. So, I mean, and now we have the Space Force. Thank you, Mr. Trump. <laughs> Oh my. Probably a Trekkie. So we're going to die. <laughs> yes, we could digress to that in another time. No politics till we could talk also about events, <laughs> but we're not going to talk politics that way, Dave. Okay. No, but we, but we can talk about Steve Carell's Space Force show yeah. on Netflix. That's okay. <laughs> so so you're a sci-fi guy through and yeah. through. Do you ever wish you could get do be on Star Wars at one point? Oh yeah. Cameo oh yeah. Oh, definitely. Like for me, Tell your agent. My, my big issue was always like, where, where are all the damn Asians on Star Wars? Where <laughs> are they? I mean, they've, they've literally appropriated so many things from Asian culture. If you look at the Jedis there, I mean, what they wear is very Asian. Like the lightsaber is very much like a samurai sword. So there's so much Asian-ness that George Lucas utilized in Star Wars. But I, and I complained about this to the guy that played Boba Fett. I was at a convention. He was sitting next to me. And so the next day he shows up, he goes, Garrett, I have a photo for you to look at. And I'm like, oh, really? And he pulls out this photograph and it's Boba Fett in the foreground, but an Asian guy in the background, like an extra with a bandana on. He goes, there's an Asian. And I go, oh, thank you for showing me the background guy. They made other funny. aliens look Asian, but not Asians. Correct. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and I'm trying to think of the group, which is, but I'll go to another question. Go ahead, yeah, Dave. that's right. So, Garrett, you know, they say that uh, once you're stereotyped in Hollywood, yeah. that's it, it's over for you. Yeah. Are you going to play anything except uh, sci-fi roles? <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> I, I hope to God that and I And would you mind be... if that's all that you ever well, did? You no, know, it, doesn't, it doesn't bother me if that's the rest of but my do life. Comedy, I, drama, you know. Yeah. I, I, soap I'm, opera. <laughs> my, my true love is comedy more so than anything else. Much have you done stand-up? What have you done with, that's besides Star Trek, which you have, and you're doing- Well, too, yes, yeah. Star Trek was my, literally my 32nd audition. Um, I found out that I booked Star Trek while I was working on a sitcom called All American Girl on ABC. This was Margaret Cho, the comedian, her one year, it only lasted one season, very short lived, but I played her boyfriend in the very first episode. And so I've had some sitcom, you know, experience in my life, but my growing up, I, I idolized uh, Rich Little, Rich Little, the master impersonator. Mm -hmm. I thought he was, mm -hmm. you know, the bee's knees. I thought, oh my gosh, if, well, I, if I could have big. a job like that, that'd be amazing. <laughs> um, but Saturday Night Live, you know, sketch comedy, anything like that, that that's really down my alley. But for some reason, Hollywood tends to compartmentalize and put people in boxes. So if you're a good looking, attractive guy, well, you got to play drama. You can't do comedy. If you're going to do comedy, you've got to be funny looking to be. But in a funny lot of these guys get discovered doing stand up. Do you do stand up? I actually did stand up for the first time on the big Star Trek cruise that I went on. Uh, was it scary? Uh, it was scary. <laughs> I was nervous, but I, I, I literally, I brought the house down. So I'm wow. really. Yeah. Well, you get discovered. Yeah. Uh, you know, you have the video? I've, Somebody I've, took I a have, video, I, right? I, I, yes. I have, I have video posted on Instagram. I'm going to compile that sucker together <laughs> and, and see what I can do with it. Exactly. Yeah. I did but four minutes of comedy. That was my on my bucket list. Yeah, and I've, I'm very grateful I did that. Yeah. Millions and millions of listeners at one point in time because yeah. of Star Trek. So that's mm -hmm. the process of growing the podcast is yeah. the other brand things involving you as a brand. Because again, I'm sure as you talked about the coronavirus, how yeah. tough it is to think about uh, when am I going to do another convention? 
Because yeah. how many conventions were you doing a year? Oh yeah, a lot of conventions. At, at the top, at the at the <clears throat> absolute most I've ever done in one year was twenty five in one year, which is huge. That's very difficult to do that many. But on average, I was probably doing about each year hmm, ten or so. You know, right now that Star Trek cruise I was talking about that was the last in-person convention to happen before the uh, mm. before the pandemic shut i would have gone yeah and dave just so you know that set you told me you did four minutes on stage yeah. right that was a 60 minute set that i had to do oh my so. god <laughs> one hour <laughs> where did you get your material from oh it was it was a combination of, of stories that i had told in the past on on stage at conventions combined with things that i had observed at the beginning of that cruise, funny things with other you actors. Just memorized it all. Oh, I just, yeah, I just, it just, you know, it flowed pretty naturally. Awesome, it was fun. Yeah, put it online. I'd love to see it. Okay, we'll do. Uh, definitely. And uh, are you, Garrett? Are you in LA? I'm currently in Calgary right now. My uh, my significant other lives up here in Calgary. So um, the border is still closed between the U.S. and Canada, ex unless you're an essential worker. We'll or open after the election. Family member. Yeah, you, I we'll see. We'll see. <laughs> Hopefully. Well, but typically, no, yes, Neil. No, it's good. no you go, Gary. Oh, I was going to say, but typically I live in Las Vegas. So I, I left yeah. LA to get away from the craziness. So I took a break from Hollywood for about 15 years. So I oh, just recently you. started getting back into it. So, so you want to play other stuff then? Oh, yeah. Love to. Love to. Um, comedy, of course, being at the tip top. But I would love to do something other than sci-fi if, if given the opportunity, for sure. You have to create your own stuff, it sounds like, Gary. That sounds like about the way I'm going to go, yeah. If you and did 60 minutes, better. you'll have no problem creating your own stuff. Yeah, <laughs> thank yeah. you, Dave. And you, brought, and you brought the house down, right? <laughs> it, it, they were, well, let's put it this way. I did two shows. One was Thursday night, one was Saturday night. Thursday night was sort of my, my test run. And then Saturday, when, it, when that went well, I mean, that went super well, um, I then invited all the other actors that were on that cruise and there's probably 20 of them to come watch me yeah. and i remember nana visitor from deep space nine I, I came off stage and she said she goes my friend you have found your second calling <laughs> is all she said and i was like thank you thank you my dear so, you so are you friends with all of the uh previous star trek people like captain kirk i mean do you hang out with him uh, i know he's old yeah. <laughs> I don't hang out with Shatner, but I, I, I am friends with all of the, I mean, they all know me. I know. I mean, them. they respect you guys, right? Yeah. They don't look down well, on you. No, Dave, it's a, well, I don't know if they, it, <laughs> no, there's no looking down. There's definitely. Cause you're the think, younger, new, improved yeah, version but, of them. Sure. I mean, each, the, depending on when your show came out, there is this feeling of, that in the hierarchy of family that they are a little bit more important <laughs> yeah so shatner probably thinks he's at the very top he's of the course. patriarch and then he can next do, he can guy, do, yeah, he can do whatever he wants yeah he can. <laughs> make it crazy with all the everyone all together what's have, that have all the different shows in one movie yeah that would be yeah. super cool yeah. Yeah. your imagination will keep shows. you from uh, making the next best hit you know yeah 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 what it's, is the next one the next what the next the next trek? the next thing yeah the next the next star trek oh my god well like i said they're they're working on a captain pike show so you know pike was one of the original captains from the original series so yeah. that's probably the new and a lot of these remakes you know aren't necessarily successful but not so with star trek i think each one kind of outdoes the last one which is really hard to believe but it, it right. happens right right there hasn't it, been a dud yet right no dave and neil have you guys watched the orville seth MacFarlane's uh show no have you no. seen that okay so the orville really i it's it is his homage to star trek he's a huge star trek fan and i know that with fox 
that when he first, you know, pitched this idea to them, I think he probably said to them, it's Family Guy meets Star <laughs> Trek, you know, Family Guy and Star Trek. So a comedic Star Trek. But if you watch the show, season one, episode one, yes, there's some funny business going on there, but every episode after gets less funny and more Star Trek. And so now if you watch it, it's third season, it's like watching an episode of Next Generation <laughs> Voyager. It's like, hey, they okay. just can't help themselves. Yeah. All right. no, now, no. Talk about the event on Wednesday. Yeah. Now you you're part of that panel and talk. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Uh, yeah. That event uh, talking about race and and Star Trek and race oh. and, and science fiction basically. Um, uh, it's along with uh, Tim Russ who played the the Vulcan on our show. Who Tim is African American as well as Peter Macon, who is an African American gentleman who plays an alien on The Orville, the show that I was talking about to you, Seth MacFarlane's show. So the three of us, originally it was the two of them, and then someone called me up and said, hey, we'd love to have you join along and have a little bit of a different perspective of a person of color um, that isn't African American. So I'm very much looking forward to being part of this panel on Wednesday. Interesting. Awesome. Yeah, so it's a it's a pro, it's an interesting thing to have that conversation, especially mm-hmm. what you've dealt with in acting as well. Because remember, you said think about the no Asians in Star Wars, right? So there's yeah. places where Asians were portrayed in different characters. Yeah, I think that's coming around now with different. Yeah, you know, it's for me. For, I've always felt that it's been one step forward, two steps back. Like as soon as we we have some breakthrough, and then it then it's it it goes backwards a bit. You know, I mean, if you look at 1966 Star Trek, you do have George Decay, right? You have Sulu there, so Sulu exists, and Sulu's great because he doesn't speak with an accent, right? He's speaking just like everybody else. It's wonderful. That's that's 1966, and that's a long time ago, and it's very very groundbreaking to have that character. But in between 66 and now, there have been plenty of horrible horribly stereotyped Asian characters that you get to see. And there's been, there's been people uh, that were not Asian playing Asian. Um, for instance, do you guys remember, uh, I think they did a movie, Charlie Chan and Curse the Dragon Queen, you know, <laughs> whatever it was. And it was, uh, again, another, it was not an Asian actor playing Charlie Chan. And to this day, I don't think there's ever been an Asian actor that's played Charlie Chan. And, it, and, uh, and maybe that should be my project. Maybe I should be the new Charlie Chan, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, you look like Charlie Chan. Actually. I, I could, right. right. <laughs> Put a little makeup and stuff. A little makeup. So I wanted to ask about the, uh, the phenomenon of, um, of Vulcans and um, Spock. That has taken on in each episode, right? In each series. Yeah. Yeah. They never there's- get rid of the Vulcans. They never get rid of Spock. No, there's or always a descendant of Spock or whatever. Yeah, yeah. I think, you know, what's great about Star Trek is that <clears throat> before 1966 Star Trek debuted, most of the sci-fi that you saw on television was always us against them, right? So all the aliens are always bad and the humans are <laughs> always great. And when you watch those, you know, those black and white sci-fi projects from back in the day, that's always been the case. And with Gene Roddenberry, he said, you know what, now we're going to make an alien part of the crew. So I think that's what endears Spock to all the, the, the audiences and all the people that watch science fiction is that here is somebody who is super, super um, uh, different from everyone else, from the humans. He's so logical. He's so Vulcan. And, yeah. and that has truly been a, a ongoing theme. Vulcans are in almost, not almost, every single Star Trek incarnation there is a Vulcan. And all of those good-looking, scantily clad babes are always there as well. <laughs> yeah, <they're... laughs> 
And that was something yeah. in the 60s, you know? Yeah, that was, that was probably a big deal, wasn't it? To see that much skin for you. you know who, for the, you uh, who the clothes designer, costume designer was for that. Yeah. <laughs> you just see, they, they bring that up to Gene. Gene's like, nope, too much material. Cut, put, put more holes in there. Cut more holes right there. Yep, there you go. Well, as a 13-year-old, I uh, certainly <laughs> enjoyed it a lot. Did you put your stamp of approval? So. Absolutely. So Dave has a question, and it's involving caregiving. Go ahead with the caregiving question, Dave. Okay. Yeah, you know, we're all getting older. Uh, I'm not as young as I look, but uh, 20, 24 years ago, my wife had a stroke, lost her speech, became paralyzed on one side, and I became her caregiver. Next thing you know, you know, we're going through this grief process. We almost broke up. It was awful. and She was angry all the time. Yeah. But she eventually, you know, reinvented herself and had reignited her faith in God. And, mm. and I started realizing there are other caregivers out there. And if they just don't make all the mistakes I made, then maybe I can help them because 30% of them actually die before their loved ones do. So I wrote wow. this book. It's my life too. Thrive and stay alive as a caregiver. I started caregiverdave.com, which is a support group for caregivers. And so I, I believe that now's the time to learn how to become a caregiver. Not like me where, you know, uh, you're like scratching your head and say, what, what is a caregiver and what am I supposed to do? Right. You know, um, so I, I ask you and people like you uh, all over the country when I speak, um, what uh, is there caregiving in your life? How has caregiving touched your life? That's what I was trying to wow. Um, yeah. For me personally, <laughs> not so, yeah, not so much because, you know, my, my parents are still able-bodied. They get around. Um, although, you know, whether or not my dad should be driving is another question. <laughs> <laughs> I, my kids I say honest, that about me. Wait a minute. <laughs> I told my dad, I said, I got to get back and doing another <laughs> show so I can hire a driver for you because you cannot drive on your own, sir. How old it's is like, he? Uh, he's 70, he's like oh. 75, 76. So he's, well, you're very um, fortunate at that age, you know, most 75 year olds are mm. not doing very well. Yeah. yeah. So God so, bless him. Yeah. So there's still, but I'm sure you worry about it in the back of your yeah, mind. I, I, you know, I do one worry fall and boom, that's it. You know, I do worry about that. Um, yeah. So in terms of me having my own personal, you know, uh, interaction or, or, experience as a caregiver i have not personally had to do that as of yet um but when you talk about that what does come to my mind is i remember there was a gentleman um and i'm blanking i think his book is called saved by the light um this gentleman during the vietnam war was a special forces assassin actually so his job was literally to take out um high-ranking people in the, the Viet Cong, you know, and I'm talking about literally just half a mile away. Rainbow. They don't even know what hit, not yet, literally don't, they don't even know what hit them. They're sitting there eating breakfast <laughs> right through the head, right? So that's, and he was from, uh, he was raised in South Carolina, raised as um, a very close-minded individual. So definitely um, very xenophobic, very, uh, um, very racist, very racist. And he was hit by lightning. Uh, and that changed his life. I mean, God, just, what are the odds of getting hit by lightning? Yeah, I mean, hit so Sooner hard. Win that, the lottery. Hit so hard that he got knocked out of his shoes, and his shoes, the the metal, that the nails in the heel fused with the nails in the baseboard of the wood floor, basically, and so he got blown out. Oh and God. not only did he get struck once, but he got struck two times. Like who gets struck twice by lightning? The second time he got hit by lightning. <laughs> He then he then developed the 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 gift of prophecy, like he could see oh things in the future. It's it's really kind of it's crazy, and he's a huge Star Trek fan. So he came by. Um, 
and he he visited our set while we were filming and he just told he told everybody that even though he almost died the lightning saved his life as a person as a human being um because like i told you the second time he got the gift of prophecy the first time he got to relive what every single person that he shot had to do, go through, if that makes mm. any sense. Like the, the, the moment yeah. of death of each person he shot, he oh lived their deaths. There was a movie with John Travolta, something lightning or something struck him and he had these supernatural abilities turn out to yeah. just be a, a tumor growing. Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so, so he, he also, after being struck by lightning, decided to start a, a hospice where he cared for wow. who were who were yes who were terminally ill, and he would just sit there with them That's until they redemption, my friend. Oh, oh yeah, definitely. <laughs> I mean, if you take that many lives, and if you're if you if you're the United States of America's number one secret assassin, you know you've had so many people that you've ended their lifetime. You know, then you have to sort of make up for exactly. it somehow. That's a great caregiving story, you. Dave. You'll mm -hmm. have to share in your book when you're going to be yeah. having all these celebrities of their caregiving experiences or stories. Now, Garrett, the last thing is everyone needs to know it's Wednesday night, 8 p.m. Eastern, right, for the panel? Yeah, I think, I think it's actually, yeah, 7 to It starts at 7, it ends at 9. So 7 p.m. Eastern, I think, is Eastern. the actual time. Yeah. The my Twitter, everything's on my, I, I've just made a tweet about it. Um, you can reach, you can find me at, at Garrett R W A N G. It's G A R R E T T R for my middle initial. W A N G is my Twitter and my Instagram. Um, and I'm definitely looking forward to it. And also, last thing, uh, podcast they can check this out itunes and everywhere you're yeah it's everywhere it's called the delta flyers not to be mistaken with delta flyer singular which is also a podcast but it's done by a couple of fans reviewing our episodes so the delta flyers is All right. are you getting good reviews <laughs> we're getting we're getting some really really great reviews we're excited yeah, thousand downloads that's good for, that's pretty good yeah that's, pretty yeah, good. that's yeah. good he's got to figure out to monetize it right so he could just keep yeah. staying at home doing podcasting and talking to people there and you go. Until the till we get back to events, which I'm sure you're wanting and everyone wants. So. Exactly, exactly. And congratulations, Neil, on over six thousand shows, buddy. That's great. Thank you. I appreciate yeah. that. So when you get to six thousand, which I don't know, because I interview seven, eight people a week, nine people a week. That's why I get the opportunity. It's so great to learn from people like you. And I think I'm going to binge watch Voyager. Now I got two friends on Voyager. I talked to Russ. Russ was on Tim Russ was on it. And you oh, now, great. I have to go ahead. And, yeah, and that's my on my list till uh, to binge watch binge watch after I've been to watch the new Netflix Cobra Kai. Gotta have to watch that. Did you see they they moved to Wait. YouTube? It, Cobra Kai was moved from YouTube to Netflix. And it, you're kidding it, me? Did, because I never got to I, watch it on YouTube Red, but I want to see the show. Yeah, yeah, it's great. I watched a little bit of it on YouTube Red. Um, yes, I, yeah, Netflix I've, on the twenty eighth. I, I, Again, I'm yeah. trying to get a hook up to be certain interview Netflix stars. I've done it well, on tours before, but I'm trying to work that through. I'll tell you right now, the the um, the guy that uh, from the original Karate Kid that plays the bad guy, Johnny, right? Yeah. So Will, William Zabka, Billy Zabka is his yeah. name. Yeah. He is such the nicest guy in real life. It's so crazy. It's like every, it's true. Almost every person that plays a jerk on film or TV in real life, you're like, really? How could you even... Where did you pull that out of? Like, where Eric Roberts, we just interviewed Eric a couple weeks ago. Eric yeah, dark side. Yeah. Unbelievably so nice, Eric. Yeah, was he? One okay. of the most vicious villains, Eric Roberts. And, yeah. and then you're like, yeah. wow. 
Yeah. Yeah. It's like, where are they pulling that from? Yeah. The dark side. Great, great acting. That's for sure. Well, I appreciate you stopping by, Garrett. Thanks for taking your time. And again, uh, take care, guys. Thanks. Thanks. Thanks, Guys, that was Caregivers the Ape Celebrity segment here on the Neil Haley Show. Take care. Hi, this is Terry Hopkins. You've been listening to Your Beautiful Day on Gratitude Radio Network. Hey, welcome to Your Beautiful Day on the Gratitude Radio Network. I'm Jen Mogg, Mother of Gratitude, and I hope that you have gratitude in your life wherever you go. And with me today, I have a little bit of gratitude with Neil Haley from The Neil Haley Show. Hey, Neil. Hey, I'm excited to be here. Always interested in to find out your interesting friends as we've been having some great conversations of where the Gratitude Radio Network's going and also the production company involving Gratitude Radio Network and some of the other projects we'll be working on. So introduce our guest. Thank you. Thank you so much. Well, I have to say, you have to be careful what you wish for. And when I went back for film, film found me too. And one of the great things about being in Tampa has been being a part of Fire Strike Productions. Um, I wanted to be a part of a production company, and this is one of the best, so much so that it is now a part of Gratitude Radio Network for all of your filmmaking and needs. And with me today is executive producer, Terry Hopkins. Welcome to the show, Terry. Well, thank you very much. It's a pleasure to be here. Absolutely. So I'll go with the questions you can do the follow-up, Jen, because I have no idea about Terry. So how did you get involved in film? How did that start? Well, I, for those of you in the crowd that have been in video for a while, you remember two-inch videotape? got to go back to the late yeah. 1970s, okay. but okay. that's when I first got involved. And I uh, worked with American Hospital Supply Corporation at that time, and we did uh, training videos. Oh, uh, wow. That was an easy way to do it because it was very hard to get doctors to come in and talk. So I got the idea of videotape for instruction for uh, new salespeople. And from there, just did all kinds of stuff. All kinds of stuff. And when you talk about all kinds of stuff, so you, you basically, that what made the idea it's going to be a business for you? It was always a secondary business with me uh, until just recently. But uh, throughout the 1970s and 80s, uh, for those of you that are that old, uh, before the internet, uh, when the president of a company such as Sears wanted to talk to all 1,400 stores, he hired somebody like me to come in and film him. And we would film the president of Sears telling everybody that it was a great quarter this year. And thank you guys are, you guys did terrible. And I want you to do better next quarter. And we would send those out to all 1400 stores uh, one at a time. And right. that was it. It's industrial TV. That's what we called it back then. And of course, then came the internet sorts of things. I had a company after that, that I used film when, uh, CDs first came out Ooh. and you could exactly take something and send a CD to them instead of sending a giant tape. That was cool. And after that, I kind of retired, I've retired twice in my wall life, once for almost two weeks mm -hmm. and, uh, you know, started up doing things. I came down to Florida and we, uh, we were doing a project for discovery channel, cafe racer TV. I'm into motorcycles. And from that, uh, the guy said, gee, why don't we make a movie? 
and there's all these movie guys I was hanging around with. And, and I said, boys, 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 let me tell you about movies. You have to rent a truck. Wow. Because you can't buy a movie camera. I'm telling no. you, these young guys, this you know, young is relative thing for me because anybody under 50 is young. Okay. So I said, you can't, can't do that. It costs you $200,000 yes. a week. And, you know, Pathé, CinemaScope, those kind of guys. And so he said, oh, no, 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 no. The, there's a f- new film out called the, the Expendables, sliced along. And it's filmed with a new video camera called a Black Magic. And you can buy this camera for $5,000. And I said, BS. I had just seen the Expendables the night before. Okay. So I said, I went back again. I grabbed my pencil. I wrote down all the scenes that I shot, that I thought were shot with the video. And uh, I had some friends of mine out in Hollywood. I sent them my list of the scenes that I, that I thought were shot in video. And I wasn't even half right. Not even, not even a oh. third of the time was I right. So that convinced me that you could actually buy a new movie camera and make movies. Mm-hmm. So we did. <laughs> what year was that? Uh, that was in uh, about 2015. Yeah. Okay. So we started making movies. We have three movies that are in distribution right now. One of them actually is playing in theaters right now. What movie is that? South Korea called Contagion. It's a sci-fi thriller. Okay. I've heard of it. Ooh, very scary. Very scary. Right. That's one of our, that's one of our films. Mm -hmm. The first one we did was called uh, We'll Let You Know. And that was done as as a drama down here, written locally. All All the actors were local. And uh, we did an, another one called Providence 404, uh, which is another sci-fi flick. And uh, it's, all, it's all local guys, local people, and uh, trying to uh, bring, a, bring up the level of uh, movie making here in the Tampa area. And that, that was our goal. And also to get distribution. Because uh, only one in, a lot of people don't know this, but only one in 28 movies get into distribution. Wow. So Contagion, I've heard of Contagion. Was that on Netflix? Uh, it, it, is a, it is now on Netflix. But who's, it, who's in Contagion? It's not the Contagion you're thinking of with Dustin uh, Hoffman. It's the, no. it's the other one. <laughs> so what's the storyline in the Contagion you did? Well, the Contagion we did is, uh, it was set in a radio studio, sort of like this. And the radio people, uh, this guy has a sci-fi late night story. Uh, uh, radio show Mm -hmm. and he wants to uh, he's always wanted to have a real person on there that saw space aliens and of course he never does because the girl that works for him is a sort of like Jim is the person that takes the calls and she always tells him about the BS that they're trying to pull pull off and it's not really real so Glory B the girl uh, gets a a premonition of something going on by these aliens contacting them through the airwaves. And then there you go. Okay. So how'd you guys meet? How'd you meet? How'd Jen? Jen and I, I don't even remember. We met a couple of years ago. <laughs> you are hilarious. <laughs> I don't know. She just was, just showed up in my life one day and years later, here we are. Um, I met Terry on, on the set. Uh, it was a movie set. Yeah. And oh, the gray room. Um, the gray, gray room series. Yeah, gray yes. room yes. series. Yes. I met I him on the movie set and I wanted to bring in theater or uh, playwrights or, or something into Firestrike. 
And I really liked what they were doing. And the fact that the people that they were, their crew, crew is everything on a movie. And my crew, we have, we have the best crew ever. And the testament to that is when I went around saying thank you to everyone in video, my guys are crying, like grown men are crying going, Mm I waited, I waited 18 years to work with somebody like you. Um, I waited for this set. This is why I went into this industry is to work exactly like we are now. And we're pretty excited on um, doing some reality shows in Tampa and yep. around, the, around the area and, and having our crew again up and running. Yeah, it's, uh, it, it's hard to get crew. And okay. once the crew is built, it's like a family. Mm-hmm. And okay. so- you, you click together and that's yeah. one of the things we try to get out of here. And one of my goals have always been the guys that are the boom operators, the guys that do the sound, the guys that uh, work on the sets and your cinematographers make it so they can actually make some money and stay gotcha. in the business and mm-hmm. that's key, versus just being a hobby, so to speak. Right. Okay. We're, we're understanding stuff uh, as we go in those. So um, I guess what ultimately were the new you have new three projects you're trying to distribute now how does that distribution go how does that work how does it work yeah how do you <laughs> well, figure out i i don't know if they've seen the movie the uh the show we actually right before this one but you had a guy out in hollywood and, and really hollywood or any business is a business of relationships it's not a business of transactions and one of the things that the that they you have to know about Hollywood or any businesses. You have to know the people in it and they have to trust you. You have to trust them uh, to do certain things. So it's, it's tough getting in that first picture because nobody knows you. Nobody's getting any money off of you. Nobody knows anything about you. Okay. You don't know if you're going to show up next year. So it took me uh, the three years going out the AFM with the, the American film market for guys finally picked up one of my films because I guess they just saw me there and they figured, well, he's coming back. He must be real. Okay. And so that's the next thing. Do you have any other things in production right now that you're producing right now? That's not been, you know, done and finished. Are you working Uh, on? Well, the, the movie business is basically sort of closed down here. Uh, Oh really? Even in Florida, I wouldn't think that Uh, even in Florida. Yeah. The, it wasn't so much the actors and, and people that, that wanted to do it. It was, uh, it was more the unions that were closing it down. They're acting like uh, California and they didn't want to do anything. And uh, the things they wanted to do were uh, so restrictive and so translate that to expensive mm-hmm. that it was very difficult to, to film down here. So the last thing uh, we did, which is still in post-production, which is actually done right now is uh, a little, uh, local film called always and it's about okay. a 28 minute or it's a short film gotcha all right all right jen ask that gratitude moment oh well, wait before the gratitude moment um i want to say that always is a film that i produced and directed with fire strike oh okay um well, it's, my about film. It. it's my film it's based on the true story yep. um one of my friends became a dear friend of mine um two fathers their child went to the same school as mine. And during okay. a birthday party, they came up to me and said, Hey, are you still doing that film thing? And I said, yeah, I'm still doing my film thing. And they said, cool. We'd like to, we'd like for you to, to write, help us write. Well, they had the movie written, but they wanted to produce their movie of how their son came to be. And this was their like coming out story to their son 
that they always wanted oh, wow. that they always wanted to have a family and how much she is very loved and how hard it was for them because they're two two gay dads you know two yeah. gay guys trying to have a trying to have a family and back then it wasn't acceptable it wasn't easy they had to go out to yeah. california to do it um the whole film was challenging putting it together because we had to keep something yeah. kept happening and yeah. and we finally were able to film it so it's when it was been, that film when did you film that before covid uh yeah before covid we were done uh actually i think february of 2020 yeah. before we finished finished oh, wow. up so right before everything hit the fan correct so we're excited that things are now opening back up so we can continue filming so terry yeah what is that gratitude moment that you had that one moment that pivoted your world to where you are now? Oh gosh. Okay. Without it being Liza. Well, without being Liza. Well, I'm straight, without I'm it being Liza. My, my wife, Liza. My wife. <laughs> but <laughs> I, I, I guess to, to, to right now, you know, mm -hmm. I've, I've had, a, I've done a lot of different things in my life, but uh, uh, I think to right now it was, uh, we're sitting in the, in the garage at Reverend Jim's who's not a real reverend, by the way, it's, uh, James Goodrich, who's a motorcycle builder. But we were sitting there and the, the guys were shooting uh, for Cafe Racer TV. And at that okay. moment, the, the guys are shooting from a dark garage out into the open area in Florida in the sun in the middle of the day. And I just went, <coughs> oh, guys, you might want to move the camera angle because nobody's going to be able to see anything. And they gave, all gave me dirty looks. And the producer was standing by over there and he, he went over to me and he said, how'd you know that? And I said, well, I used to do this for years. And he goes, oh, okay. And so from that moment on, I had a, a really, Ed Conklin was the guy's name, had a really good relation with Ed. And he said, well, why don't you guys just start doing some stuff? And that, <laughs> kind of, that, that's how I got to right here. So that's a gratitude moment, I think. That definitely seems like one. Awesome. All right. So, I mean, a really great conversation, Jen. I think you're excited and we'll be bringing them back on once we know more new information, some of the other productions you're going to be working with in filming, right? Yeah. Yep. NDAs for right now. <laughs> exactly. So best place we can connect with you. Where can we go? Where's best? You connect with your film production company. Where can we go? Firestrike. Oh, firestrikeproductions.com. Uh, okay. Fantastic. And you reach out directly to you there, right? Oh, yeah, yeah. I've got my phone number and um, also my email on there, and I do answer my email. Okay. All right, Jen, take it away. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Neil. I appreciate you so much. Thanks, Neil. Neil Haley has been such an amazing part of my life. Um, if you need anything with design, websites, PR, everything that you need for your brand, Neil Haley is is the guy to go to and i'm so thankful that he's part of gratitude radio network and all of your needs here for podcasting so thank you neil for being with us gratitude radio network um for podcasting needs and now we have Firestrike with us for the film part of it all right and all the filmmakers um i hope wherever you are today that you are blessed you are loved and you are sacred use your gifts in your life and don't leave anything on the table Thank you so much for being with us. I'm Jen Mog, Mother of Gratitude, for your beautiful day. And have a beautiful day. Bye.
celebrity slots. Free spin. Free to play mobile social slot games in the likeness of your favorite celebrities. Making money. Spin to win celebrity experiences through sweepstakes. Free to download. Free to play. Yeah, baby. What are you waiting for? Win meet and greets, celebrity merchandise, gift cards, and more. Download celebrity slots today. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Rob Roselli Show. I'm excited to welcome the program, Rob Roselli. Rob, what's going on, man? And uh, this continues to be crazy, doesn't it? Everything that's happening. Yeah, yeah. It seems like things are spinning out of control, you know, both here and abroad. Uh, and the Biden administration, you know, dementia Joe Biden is just sitting there saying nothing about any of it. Between the border being overrun, this gas crisis that we're experiencing right now here in the east, and an impending. Hey, can war, you believe it? Like we're we're, we're facing a gas crisis now when we had a surplus of oil before, and gas. I mean, it's unbelievable. Oh, yeah, you had this, yeah, this cyber attack against this colonial pipeline, which supplies a lot of refined gasoline to the east and the northeast, which is shut down for several days now. And you're hearing about gas shortages all over the southeast. Um, now, here in the northeast, we haven't really experienced them yet. But according to sources, if they don't get this thing figured out by, say, Friday, it's going to be mayhem all over up and down the east coast. With supplies running out and gasoline running out and price spikes and all the and all the rest of it and of course the biden administration is saying nothing and doing nothing to them to them this is almost like a good thing because then people aren't driving their cars and contributing to the climate change fiasco you know in their eyes it's the same mentality you know remember he shut down the keystone pipeline which which transports oil down down to the United States for refinement into gasoline. So you these people are essentially uh nuts, for lack of a better word, trying to solve a, a problem that's an an illusion known as climate change, global cooling, global warming. That we just that we discussed on past shows. But the problem now is is that now that the, the we reality the rubber of reality hits the road or the rubber of their theories hits the road of reality i should say things don't work out too good and people are going to really be suffering big time now whether they get this this thing back online in the next few days or not it doesn't matter i mean this is the mentality of these people this is your future with this with this administration and i think it's just it's scary. It's really scary when you when you sit down and think about it. What these people want to do with their Green New Deal and and all their theories about climate change and all this other stuff. So grab your put your seatbelts on. It's going to be a rough ride for the next four years if the country makes it that far. And I'm not sure it will due to the hyperinflation that these people are inducing with all their spending. Now, there's, a, there's another story out that unemployment is up because there's 
just they're paying people more money to sit at home with unemployment than to go out and work. And a lot of places are finding it hard to find workers. But the bottom line is, is what they're doing is they're, they're spending money. Is they're putting the United States government into debt. They're creating dollars out of nothing, which is going to eventually create a, a a hyperinflation environment, just like in the, in the Weimar Republic in Germany between World War One and World War Two, where people were burning their they're burning their money because it was worth more to be burned and used for heat than it was to actually be spent. We're on the exact same path, thanks to these nut jobs in the White House and his and his staff surrounding him. So we got a lot to be worried about in this country right now. It's just the bottom line, and I'm not sure if you heard about this thing with Tucker Carlson and quote Dr. Fauci. I don't know if you heard about that one, did you? I've heard the thing about Dr. Fauci that he lied in Wuhan, China. That you heard about that, right? The Wuhan lab, basically, um, that that Fauci knew that it came from the Wuhan lab. Did you hear about that one? That was yeah. We talked about what were you going to say? We talked about that year months ago, right? About it came from a lab, the the virus. Yeah, it seems like all evidence is pointing that it came from the lab. And now Fauci's agreeing and said he lied and that he does think it came from the lab. But go back. What were you going to say about Carlson and Fauci? Well, to, to Fox's credit, and I'm I'm no big fan of Fox News and Tucker Carlson. I mean, he did expose that, that Fauci and his right-hand man, this guy named Pezdor, had a hand in funding and researching so-called gain-of-function ability of viruses in the lab over in Wuhan. They found some, some loophole in the law that, that banned the gain-of-function research for viruses, and there was they're funding and studying the viruses over at the Wuhan lab. So you have United States tax dollars going into a Chinese lab, a Chinese biological weapons lab, from which in all likelihood this COVID virus emanated. So the whole thing stinks to high heaven and the only one dealing with it right now seems to be Tucker Carlson on Fox News. But no that's just, that's gigantic, isn't it? Isn't it gigantic? So you think it's conspiracy altogether to control us? Well, it's a huge, it's huge news. Um, I mean, the whole thing stinks to high heaven when you think about it, when you put it all together. And, and hopefully, you know, Tucker Carlson doesn't back down and doesn't get a lot of pressure to stop pushing in, in on this because nobody else is. But gain-of-function research, I mean, basically what, what that means is viruses are, are, are generally host-specific they generally don't jump species. I mean, you have exceptions, of course, in, in the world, but generally you have to push or coax a virus or genetically manipulate it to get it to adapt it to, to attack a different species. So in this case, from a, from a bad virus to a, to an attacks humans, and that's the kind of research they were doing at this lab. And apparently the safety measures in place were, were biosafety level two, which is... Uh, which is basically equivalent to the safety level at a dentist office. So here they're, they're messing with biological viruses capable of jumping species, all with the safety measure, the equivalent of a dentist office. And then everybody's surprised that it escaped from the lab. And Fauci and, and 
and his right hand man, this guy Pezdor, right in the middle of the whole thing. So the whole thing stinks. And what's going to be done about it? Who knows? Who knows? I mean, you know, you have Americans, top American scientists helping out the Chinese research biological viruses, helping out the Chinese military. This Wuhan lab was a Chinese military establishment. So I don't know where that goes, but this is the kind of thing I covered in, in my book, The Un-American Genocidal Complex with the AIDS virus. Um, it's the same the same cast of characters, the CDC, the NIH, the World Health Organization, the United Nations, right in the middle of a whole mess, lying and manipulating the truth. The same exact pattern. You know, you had mysterious, in the case of AIDS, you had mysterious sheep and cow retroviruses jumping species in, into humans. And in that case, they landed on a green monkey in the middle of Africa, which was just a total lie. It was never found in green monkeys, but that was the lie that they covered, that they used to cover it up. But last week we kind of talked about the mentality of these people with the evolution quotes quiz, on, you know, and what they really think about people, and and you know, you know, savages and imbeciles, and, and these kind of things is how they refer to the the mass of of people, you know, our elites, you know, and today. You know, we see this featured prominently in, you know, in Planned Parenthood and the abortion movement, of course, you know, known as the American Birth Control League, which was Margaret Sanger's uh, gift to the United States. And now in that case, you know, her, her savages and imbeciles were mostly, you know, black people or in her, in her words, Negroes, the Negro population that needed to be eliminated. We have Planned Parenthood, but you know her her sidekicks in the American eugenics movement went, went beyond just black people. They they want all useless eaters in their minds um, off the planet. So it's when you think about it, it's very scary that when you, these people are in control and and these are the people giving us the information and and lying to us and distributing these vaccines and all this other stuff. So it's scary times. Um, not to mention all the wars and rumors of wars that are popping up around the world. And anyway, um, don't forget God's Simple Salvation Plan, which is on my website, boxofsunglasses.com, and also my books. Uh, and in particular, the un-American genocidal complex is probably the most the most relevant at this time. If people want to get get a good book and, and read about the background and, and the and the impetus uh, of this of this movement to call in the population of the, of this country and the world, and I mean that literally, then that's that's where it, that's where you go to. So anyway, wish I had better news. Yeah, no, no I mean, yeah, we'll just go to boxsunglasses.com. Check out Rob on Twitter at Rob Roselli. And uh, man, I don't know. Every week you come with something. I've said this for the last uh, time since we've been doing the podcast for about a year. And it's like every time something more crazy happens. And the midterm elections are the last hope for the republic, I think. That's well, it. if we get that far, 
you think they'll far. be able to turn it around? They'll be able to just keep it where it's uncontrollable. But we will see. Okay, man. And I'll talk to you soon. Okay. All right, man. All right, guys. That was the Robert right. Solo Show. Take care.